Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 12, We're going to pick up where we left off in our verse-by-verse study in Hebrews, and today's a special day as we've allotted time at the end of our gathering to respond to the message. So as I'm ending early, and you notice on on your watch, don't expect to leave right away. We're going to stay around. Pastor Ian's going to take the service from there, and we're going to have a chance to respond because the message today is a challenging one. And I've entitled today's message, Thank God for His Discipline. Thank God for his discipline. So here we are in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Paul, I believe the author, is winding down his letter, and he's winding it down with these little encouragements, little exhortations, and instructions. And of course, in the book of Hebrews, there's that overall instruction to not go backwards, to remember the big picture of the sufficiency of Jesus in all things, But there's also the practical part of how do I do that exactly? And you know, that's the role of a leader, whether he or she is a spiritual leader or a leader in the home or a leader at work or just even taking the lead spiritually in our community. One of the roles of a spiritual leader is to define reality for people. Sometimes there are those opportunities to miss out and miss out on the reality that's before you, and you need somebody to come along and tell you the the truth and reveal to you the truth. This is the responsibility I have as a pastor, and it's not always easy. It's not always easy to step into your life and remind you of the reality that exists in the spiritual realm. A pastor, a parent, a mentor, a friend needs to speak the truth in love. And we would do well to receive it. That's what we see here at the end of chapter 12. Paul's given us the truth in love. Pick up with me by way of reference in verse 1 in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've looked at this in depth in the previous studies where we're in a race together. We're not competing against each other. We're running with each other. And the whole goal is to finish and to finish well. Not only to finish, finish well, but also finish taking as many people as possible with us in this race of life, this spiritual race. And then he adds to it. He says, look, when you're running the race, here's the key. You need to look unto Jesus keeping your eyes firmly fixed on him. And last time we together, we learned eight different ways that we're to look unto Jesus, eight ways to run our race well. And now we add to that list, notice in verse three, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving 
against sin. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word consider. You probably have looking in verse 2 already circled. And you can draw a line between those two, connecting them. It says, not only do you look to him, but also you need to consider him. This word consider means to consider accurately. You know how pain and difficulty has a way of disrupting your equilibrium. So you've got to make a concerted effort in the midst of difficulty, running this race, wanting to quit, wanting to go backwards, to consider him again, again, and again. As you're running, as you're looking, as you're in this race, it's important that you consider and remember Jesus over and over. Why? Because the race gets hard and tiring, and we get weary and discouraged. We not only get weary and discouraged in the physical realm, don't miss this, what it says there in the text, that you become weary and discouraged where? In your soul. It's a much deeper thing. You know, we get weary and discouraged in our minds in the physical realm, and that sort of separates us from each other. You know, you work a 16-hour day, you come home, you're tired, you don't really want to talk to anybody, you go right upstairs, you go right into the room, and you, you plop down and you fall asleep. Weariness and discouragement separates us from each other. But when weariness and discouragement hits the soul, then you begin to separate from God. You find yourself pulling away, maybe even becoming mad at him and upset with him. Remember, Jesus, he promised, he promised a rest for the soul. He goes deep down into who you are spiritually so you can get tired and weary there, but you can also receive the rest there. So here's the thing. As you're running, you need to remember Jesus. What do you remember? First of all, you remember his endurance. That he too, you know, we've been looking at that word over and over again. Hupomone, hupomone. You look at it, that need to endure. You have need for endurance. And you go, oh, I can't take it anymore. I can't endure. I'm ready to give up. Well, consider the endurance of Jesus. In his humanity, he also endured. What did he endure? It says here, hostility from sinners. That's part of the difficulty. We live in a sin-soaked world where the God of this age is anti-Christ, anti-believer. Everything about this culture is trying to rip you away from God. And so you have this hostility from sinners. Jesus endured the same hostility, or even more so. He says, I want you to remember him. And don't we often remember him in communion? That was the instruction that Jesus came, gave. As often as you do this, do this what? In remembrance of me. Remember him and what he faced. He endured and he made it. So that you don't become weary and discouraged. That you know you'll finish well. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're ready to give it all up, when it's become too hard, consider Jesus. Because weariness comes to us all. We all become weary and tired because life is very difficult. There, it requires effort in your relationship with God. Think about all the things that require effort in your life. It, it requires effort to follow the Lord. It requires effort to deny yourself. It requires effort to resist temptation. It requires effort to steady on. Everything in life requires effort. In marriage, it requires effort. In singleness, it requires. Stay pure. Everything in life requires a sense of effort. 
and effort as you continue to put out, as you continue to press on, it's easy to get tired and even weary, especially when things get harder and more challenging. You're like, forget it. I don't want to move on. And then when you're resisting temptation, that's hard. When people are criticizing you, that's hard. When there's gossip and things surround, that's hard. Then there's the trials of life. Then there's the difficulties of life. Then it's overwhelming things in life. And to resist or to, to put a guard up against weariness and discouragement, we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to consider him and his endurance. This word weariness is the same word that's translated sick in James chapter 5, verse 15. Weariness can make you sick, man. It can take you out. James 5, 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Same word. Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. We live in a culture where discipline and challenging situations and hardship are not valued. It's just give in and do whatever you want and don't worry about it. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, he says, no, stand fast. Stand fast in your faith, abiding in Christ, drawing from him the resources and energy that you need to get through the day. God gives both the power and the desire or the desire and the power and energy to fulfill his will. And as we do get tired and discouraged, we're reminded in Galatians 6, verse 9, there's a different kind of discouragement and weariness. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Doing good can weary you in a world that does bad. He says, for in due season, we'll reap if we don't lose heart. That's a little different word that's used here in Galatians than the one that's used in Hebrews. It means to lose courage. So not only can you be discouraged and weary in your soul, but even doing good and loving and caring in a very dark world can make you lose courage and just to faint and give up. He says, no, consider him. Why? Verse 4, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You, you haven't come to the end yet. You're still alive. And because you're alive, God wants to use you. Yeah, you're going to resist, but it's going to be, for some, it's going to be all the way to bloodshed, but you're not there yet. You, you haven't been nailed to a cross. So steady on and look to Jesus, consider him, let him encourage you and strengthen you. But here's the root of the problem, really. It's found in verse five. The root of the problem of this deep discouragement and weariness is here, verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. And here's a big issue among us, church. We have forgotten that God disciplines us. That God disciplines us. That's what the word chasten means. We don't use that word very often. Instead, think of it of training or discipline. Think of it in the, in the realm of God entering into your life to bring about correction through pain, 
And he uses the word, notice, chastening, rebuked, scourged. These are heavy words. God will literally bring about pain in your life and mine to get us on the right course. And he uses this familiar picture of a parent. Every parent can understand the discipline of their children. Every parent understands that. And if you don't have children right now, you were a kid one time, you understand discipline. You understand what it means to do something wrong and receive the consequence from it. You understand that there were times when your parents needed to get involved in your life and bring about discipline to get you back on track. And this is a great problem in the church. We have forgotten that God will discipline us. You know, God disciplines countries for turning their back on him. God disciplines homes and families. God disciplines men and women. And God disciplines children when they turn their back upon him. Listen, God will not let his kids get away with anything. He will not wink at any sin and just ignore it. Even when it seems like everyone else can get away with it, if you are a son or daughter of God, you will not get away with sin in your life. God will bring about the necessary discipline on top of the difficulties, on top of the effort, on top of the warfare, on top of the difficult culture, all of that, on top of all that, God will still bring about the discipline that's needed for you and I to be conformed into the image of Christ. And here's the issue with the Hebrews. It may be an issue with you. All of the issues in your life have clouded your vision of remembering that God loves you and discipline is a part of his love. That's what he says in verse 6. Whoever God loves, whoever Jehovah loves, he disciplines. He disciplines them. Sometimes you think of God's discipline of his disapproval of you, but no, he approves of you. He doesn't approve of the sin in your life. He loves you. And not all hard times come as a direct result of your sinful choices. That's a false concept of God. Hard times come to us all. And sometimes God will even send us into a storm, allow a horrendous trial to enter our lives in order to discipline and train us to follow him. And so he tells these Jewish believers here in Hebrews, don't interpret all the difficulties in your life as if God doesn't approve of you. This is earth. It's hard. Even Jesus endured hostility from sinners nailed to a cross. The choices that you made to follow Jesus have brought you in line with pains and problems that he faced. You're following in pain and difficulty. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And here's a problem, a challenging problem. It's easy in difficult times to sit around and start feeling sorry for yourself. Well, woe is me. It's so hard. I'm the only one that's suffering. It's not worth it. Following Jesus have made things worse. Hey, if you're in a position right now that life is so hard that you've fallen into this funk of, hey, sitting around feeling sorry for yourself, you need to be careful because everything you hear while you're feeling sorry for yourself is a lie. It turns your heart against God. It makes you the center of the world and the situation. And God wants you to look up, not look in. He wants you to look up. He wants you to gain the right perspective that God is working all things together for the good for those that love him. Sometimes the difficulties in your life are just simply the chastening, disciplining hand of God. He brings discipline into your life and mind to train us and teach us, even though that can be very, very painful. 
This word discipline speaks of training of a child. Sometimes the training comes as a consequence of our own bad behavior. Other times it's a discipline to keep us from far worse. Sometimes it's simply to develop us and make us better in serving him. Whatever it is, whatever the reason, when it comes, the Bible says, don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of God. Embrace it. Why? Because it reminds you that you're loved. Notice verse 7. If you endure chastening, then you know God's dealing with you like a son. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me just say at the outset here that I know this can be a very hard comparison for some of you listening in. For many of you, because you didn't have the best dad growing up or the best example of a father. You may have been abused or misused or neglected or severely wounded and the idea of a father and a father's discipline really messes with your head and messes with your emotions. So to think of God as a father, it just doesn't, you just can't put the pieces together because you haven't had the right example. If that's you, let me just say I'm sorry that you've had to endure that kind of difficulty in your life. I mean, even those that may have had the best dad still had an imperfect dad. But some of you, you experienced the worst of the worst, and we're sorry for that. Because God never intended for this important role to be so twisted for you. I'm sorry that your dad misrepresented a very important role in your life and mine. So important that God uses it as a picture of our relationship with him. So our real example is not our human dad, but our heavenly father. Not our human dad, although as it says here, even our human dads tried to chasten us. They did it what, they, what was best for them. What, what they felt was best for the family. I understand that. As a dad myself, having raised my children now into adult, and my oldest would be 34 this year, and I have other kids that are in their 20s. I get it now as I see that chastening. And a lot of times when I would bring discipline into my kid's life, I would have the right reason, but I would do it wrong. I would have a selfish motive perhaps, or I'd be upset or angry or aggravated when the goal was to train my kid, but oftentimes that would come from a place, a position like it says here, what I thought was best. But see, our Father in heaven, he does for our profit. Not what he, not, not what as a dad, like what I think best is for the family. No, when God disciplines us, it's so that we might partake of holiness. We might be more usable. What Paul is saying here is that your perfect example is found in God. And he's disciplining you because he loves you. And that's truly the motive of parents. Our desire is because we love our kids. We want them to grow up to love God. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The primary source of training in a child's life comes from parents that love their children. And it's evidence that you are their mom and dad. Like, like I don't have permission to discipline your kids. You would not be very happy. Now, some of you said, oh, no, Ed, please do. No, I'm not going to take that. I don't have, they're not my kids. Now, I would influence them, come alongside of them, point them to the Lord, but they're your kids. So anything I do in their life is secondary to the role that you have. And I certainly will teach, talk, I'll speak the truth in love to your kids and I'll help them get on track for sure. But it's your prime. You are not responsible to raise my kids. I'm responsible to raise my children. And if you go through life and your parents let you get away with anything, because that is, you know, a philosophy of parenting in our world today. Ah, just let them do whatever. Let them find their own way. No. Parents were put in children's life to train them in the right way and show them the wrong way. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to live life. God has revealed it in his word. And even though the world will throw their kids away, we will not. And not only that, we will step in and minister to the kids that their parents have just turned on them. And we'll help and we'll serve. You know, if you don't, you don't receive discipline from your parents, they're not demonstrating love to you. They're not, that, that makes sense. It just makes common sense. It's just so logical. When your kids start playing with fire or want to run on E-470 and play tag, any good parent would say, no. With great force, I won't let you do it. You'll even chase after them. You don't just let your kids play with snakes at the, at the Denver Zoo, you know. Oh, go ahead, climb the fence. Tell me how the lion is doing. And that's what Daniel did. No. No, the Lord has put you in their lives to train them. Another philosophy of parenting today is this sense of, well, you know, I don't really want to discipline my kids. What my kids need is a friend. So I'm going to be my kids' friends. They do not need you as their friends until you parent them. That's the right order. You are the only parents they have. They can have a thousand kids on the block, but they need you to parent them. You parent them first, and then very naturally over time, you begin to befriend them, and the relationship changes. But you can't just abandon your parenting. God put you in their lives to lead, train, develop, and even discipline your children. Notice verse 10. It's, this phrase just jumped off the page as I consider my own parenting. In verse 10 it says, For they, speaking of human parents, indeed for a few days chastened us. You might want to mark that, a few days. You know why? Because it speaks of a short amount of time. It's not even a week he's using. Just a few days. He's saying the time that you have to discipline your kids is a short amount of time. It's just a few days. And I'm telling you, kids grow up fast. You blink your eye and before you know it, they're out of the house, they're married with kids and they're moving on. It happens just like that. And in that short amount of time you have influence in them, you need to train them in the ways of the Lord, which means you need to know them and live them yourself. You can't just bark orders at your kids. You need to give that example, that example of what it is to follow the Lord. 
to give yourself wholly over to him, to know that God is doing a great work in your life. And as a dad, I know it was just for a while. It went by so quickly. And when I chastened my kids and I disciplined my kids, it wasn't easy. Not, not even including the mistakes that I would make in disciplining them, it wasn't easy. And I know we all kind of grew up with this. I certainly did. I remember a distinct time when I got in such big trouble, my dad was going to spank me, and he pulled out this card that said, oh, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, son. And I'm like, well, then let's switch places. Like, <laughs> let's just flip this around. But I know what he, I know what he meant. It is a painful thing to discipline your kids. I, I can remember occasions with my own kids where we had a trip planned, we were going to go somewhere, and one of the kids uh, did something, and as a part of the consequence, the whole trip had to be canceled. And that was hard. Not only did we all want to go on it, but I wanted them to go on it. I wanted them to enjoy it. I mean, that's really the heart of a parent. I want my kids to enjoy all the benefits of following God, all the benefits of obedience, all the benefits of what God says. And it's painful to bring about discipline and go, well, you know what? I wanted the best for you. you. You didn't even want the best for you as you chose your own way. I think of that as a pastor as well. My role sometimes is to bring hard information to you, to admonish you, to exhort you, to encourage you, to instruct you. It's not always well received. It's not always liked. But if I'm going to demonstrate my love to you, then I'm going to tell you the truth. If I didn't tell you the truth, then you would question whether I care about you or not. I mean, if I lie to you all the time, you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to follow that guy. He's lying to me. He just lets things go. He doesn't care. But instead, I need to step into your life carefully and gently in love but talk to you about the realities of what God's Word says about a particular situation. Whether that's from the pulpit or it's privately or personally, I must speak forth the Word of God and sometimes it feels like you're being chastened or disciplined. But it's hard. It's difficult. I'm in a role where, and I'm sure you or many of you are in a role where I have to make hard decisions, challenging ones. And even though I don't make always, I don't always make the right decisions, God's discipline is always perfect. And he does it from a motive of love. And it's just, you know, hey, it's only for a few days you have that chance with your kids. But notice in verse 10, when God disciplines, it's for our profit. It's always going to benefit us. And we can be partakers of his holiness. And then verse 11 is like the, one of the most biggest understatements of all the Bible, isn't it? No discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Can you say an amen to that? I was like, man, of course. I hate being disciplined. I don't like it. It's not fun. I'm not smiling through it. It's grievous. Even as I don't like getting shots. When the doctor, I went recently to a doctor appointment, and she offered me, well, you know, it's been a certain amount of years before you got this certain shot. Do you want it? And I'm like, are you giving me a choice? No, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do it. But then she got her way anyway. She wrote her little thing, sent me downstairs so that my, my blood could be drawn. So doctor's going to get it one way or another. And as he, she, the gal was doing my blood work, she could see it on my face. She goes, you know, you don't have to watch this. You can look away. I said, oh, I'll look away. And if I could t cut my arm off and leave it here, I'd give it to you. Because so, I hate needles. But as much as I hate needles, I really don't like the discipline of the Lord. That's worse than needles because it's challenging. It reminds me that I've gotten off track. 
It's reminding me that I haven't been abiding in Christ. That I haven't been trusting him. So it's not joyful. And while it might not be joyful for you, it is joyful for God because he's developing you. You know, as a parent disciplining your kids, like, it's not like you're throwing a party about it, but you're grateful that when your child learns, because really the association of chastening with a child, and it's with us as well, is to associate pain with sin. Because if they don't learn it in the home, they're going to learn it the hard way in the world. The world will tell very quickly that sin leads to pain. The world will validate 100% the Bible truth that says that the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. It's a painful way to learn things the hard way or to learn things on the street. We need to teach our kids that association of pain with sin in the home so that when they are tempted with greater things, they can say, no, I don't want to go that way. And while it's not so joyful for you and me, it is for God, because from God's perspective, he's making you stronger and making you wiser and more capable for the next phase of your life and ministry. He's developing you and me deeply because he loves you. I know we don't always like it. I know we don't always want it, but we always need it. And we should be thankful for the discipline of God as a reminder of his love for us. Let me show you this before we close. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 6? I love this verse Jesus taught us. So vital, so important to remember this. Luke chapter 6, when you get there, pick up in verse 39. Luke 6 verse 39. Jesus is teaching here. And he says, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And then verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. When the training is complete, you will be like your teacher. You will be conformed in the image of Christ. But when you bring that here in the human realm, that's why we need to be careful in choosing our human teachers. We need to be abundantly careful, those in the human realm of life, why? Because whoever we give our ear to, we're going to become like them. We're going to become like our teachers. That's the danger of just listening to some guy on the radio or listening to some guy on YouTube or listening to some gal on television. You have to understand, you, you need to know the person, see their character, interact with them. Because if you just, your ears tickled by some guy, some gal, and you start listening and start listening, start listening, you watch out, you're going to become just like them. You're going to sound like them. You're going to act like them. You're going to spout off like them. But see, when you have a teacher that's been given to you by God, you are going to find a man or a woman that will take you past themselves to the very presence of the Lord. And you'll become like the Lord. I know it's important for me regularly to remember to lead you past me and into the arms of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? You need him. You don't need me. You need the Lord high and lifted up in your life, looking unto him, considering him. And anyone that stands in this pulpit representing God to you, you must, according to God's word, test all things and hold fast to what is good. You test all things. And you got to be careful. Somebody forwards you some, oh, yeah, yeah, you saw this on YouTube, blah, blah. And now you sound just like them. Why? Because that's who you're listening to. That's who's training you. And instead, you need to just get alone, open up your Bible, and pray, and let the Lord train you. 
and teach you. So you listen to somebody who's all outraged, you become outraged. You listen to someone that's all into conspiracies, you're a master conspiracy person now. You're reading this, now you're saying this. That's why time in God's word is so vital and important for you. There is no substitute for Bible study and prayer. None whatsoever. You got somebody like, oh man, everybody's now, they're listening to this and watching this and they're outraged and the church is this and the church is that and they over there and that over there and no longer reflecting the love of Jesus Christ. Be careful because any true teacher of God's word will lead you to yield to the Holy Spirit because really he's the teacher. The Bible says in John chapter 14 verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, he will teach you all things. So an open Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit will teach you right through the word what you need to know when you need to know it as he reveals things to you. So we want to learn to thank God for his discipline. Because yeah, it's true, no chastening, verse 11, seems to be joyful. But afterwards, this is so cool, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you submit to the training and discipline of God, you're going to see peaceable, righteous fruit of your life. You're going to see you change and be conformed into the image of Christ. It's a beautiful thing when you submit to the Lord. Yeah, maybe it is the discipline. Perhaps that's the big issue in your life today. You have forgotten that God disciplines. You've forgotten it and you despise it and you don't like it. That God, he disciplines nations. He disciplines governments. He disciplines people, families, community. God brings about discipline to bring us to a place of surrender. And, and he disciplines his own kids, us, you look out at the world and you say, oh, the world, the world, the world. God doesn't discipline the world like he disciplines his kids to bring about holiness and separate living, like a, to be set apart for him. And it's wise for us to thank God for his discipline because you and I are where we are today looking back by the discipline of God. We think about it's our obedience and our direction. No, it's our surrender to the work of God in our lives that brings about the progress and maturity and growth in your life that's so wanted and so needed. Father, we ask that you would bring to heart and to mind these truths of your discipline. We don't like it. I don't like it. I speak for everyone. I don't like your discipline. I don't like it at all. I fight against it sometimes. I resist it. I forget about it. I, I get into a mode at times where I feel sorry for myself. Woe is me. And it just never leads to anything good. It never leads to any fruit in my life, just rotten fruit. I never, you never want me to be on the throne. You want me to be bowing before the throne. And I pray that over our church today, that we would bow before the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we would appreciate and receive all that you've allowed into our lives. It's not everything good, so we don't have to call it good when it's not. But we serve a good God who brings purpose and meaning to the bad things. And I pray for the hurting in this room today, the grieving, 
the worried, the fearful. I pray for the, the fractured marriages, the resistance and rebellion even within a marriage, just fighting and disagreement, God. I pray that you would break those walls of hardness down and that men and women would meet at the cross. I pray for the parents with prodigal kids today, especially those that are beating themselves up with great regret. I pray over them right now, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And they've raised their kids the right way, they've taught them the word, and they're away right now, but your word says when they're old, they won't depart. And so we just pray them to return, God. We pray for them to come to that place of loving and caring for their family once again. Bring them home, Lord. Bring them home in a powerful way that we could throw a party for them, you know? Get out the robe and the rings and let's invite everyone. My son, my daughter, he's home. She's home. And help us, God, as we continue to, to uh, discipline and train our kids. And in these last days, Lord, things are thrown at us all over the place and challenges and issues and such. But we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.